Well, hey friends, Brendan here, and welcome to the very first episode of Becoming Better. Becoming Better is a weekly podcast that takes the message from Sunday and digs deeper in an effort to help each of us become better disciples of Jesus. This is an avenue for further dialogue, context, and even a place for your specific questions to be answered from Sunday's message. The reality is that we all want to become better followers of Jesus, and this podcast exists to help us do just that. On today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we discuss this new season that Quad City is entering into. We talk about the Excel initiative and why we are so excited about what God has in store for us through it. And lastly, we answer a ton of frequently asked questions from our vision nights and from the beginning of this Excel series. As always, if you have a question from Sunday's message of your own, we hope that you join us at quadcity.church slash podcast to submit your question to be answered right here on the show. Well, thanks again for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hey guys, welcome back. Happy Monday. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm so glad. So for those of you who have been watching on the the YouTubes, as Jason would call it, our other <laughs> podcast that we did for Variety Pack, there were a couple guests that aren't normals. Like, well, really everybody. Only Brendan really knew what to do. And we would say, hey, happy, you know, happy Monday. They all just looked at me like, what are you talking about? I was waiting for that right there, what right you just there. did. So it's good to be back. We it are is. back. Yeah, it feels uh, it feels like all is right in the world. I was actually thinking this morning about uh, when we started the podcast for the beginning of the Roman series, which was about this time last year. Uh, and I was thinking about that episode. And yeah, it was, it was a, a fun drive in remembering way back then, a whole year ago long time yeah it is how was your guys summer uh quick yeah yeah so with the you know the kids are only out two months it's really fast i mean there really is this back when i was a kid you got three months right you did it was longer yeah so but we didn't have fall break and we didn't get two weeks at christmas so there's those are the trade-offs but it does just seem to go by quick. Yeah. When you when we were growing up in the valley, uh, you wanted your summer to be short. You wanted your <laughs> you wanted your three week winter break and your two full yes. weeks of fall break. And yeah. it was way nicer. That's when you're you're going out and doing stuff rather than in the hundred and fifteen degree yeah, weather. It's true. So yeah. what about you, Josh? That's what, pretty good. What were you up to? Uh mom was not didn't feel quick. It felt like a very long and busy summer. <laughs> um yeah. Oh, man, I'm trying to think what we did. What did we do this summer? I feel like we did a lot of things. I don't think we went anywhere, though. Did we go anywhere this summer? Oh, we went to the Valley for 4th of July. Man, it was hot. Yeah, it's a bad place to go. You got to go yeah. north. What was the... Jeez. It was so warm down there. It's cheap, though. Going to the Valley in summer, if you go like stay at one of the resorts or something, it's nobody, super inexpensive. Nobody wants to be there. Nobody, no. They want to be there like September, October, November. Mm-hmm. And we did flag football and we did, uh, what else did we do this summer? We did some baseball stuff. Uh, one of my kiddos, my oldest, was in All-Stars. And so we did that for a bit. Um, so it was a pretty busy summer, just wrapped around, you know, kids. But I was very glad that they were back in school. Oh, it's much better. That <laughs> yeah. bus that bus comes and picks them up. It's nice. So again, we're <laughs> in a little bit different season because like my kids are self-sufficient for the most part, right? Yeah, I'm uh, not there yet. Right. So, you know, I got a 17-year-old. I barely saw him all summer. So he he was working and he was up and out of the house at four in the morning and working at a golf course till 11, then come home and then took another job in the afternoon. So <laughs> it's, I never saw him. So the kid piece is different. 
hundred percent. Yeah. I was uh, thinking back on our first episode and we got a lot of flack for this. So I don't want to drive into it too much, but we talked a fair bit about this being the dark season for sports. For six sure. more days. We got six College more football. days until football starts, right? <laughs> NCAA football, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but this year I feel like I did a lot better in this season. There were two things that really got me, uh, maybe even three things that really got me through it. One was the Little League World Series. I've been watching a lot of kids' baseball, which has been super fun. Porter and I will sit down and watch yep. some of the games. And that team from Nevada. Dude, the Henderson team is They good. are smoking that ball. Yeah, boy. baseball's big Woo! in Vegas. Yeah. It is. Big deal. It's a big, yeah. it's a big deal. That's where uh, Bryce Harper came from. Yeah. He, he grew up in that area. Uh, so I watched a little bit of that. I watched a little bit of uh, international basketball, so mm-hmm. men's international Yeah, it's going on right now. Which is super fun. That team is, the U.S. team is really fun to watch right yeah. now. And then the last thing that I did just over the last couple of weeks, um, uh, maybe three weeks ago, I was watching the, the FedEx Open golf tournament. And that turned into, oh, man, I want to go play some golf. And now I'm hooked. Like I played one round of golf and I feel like that's what I want to do with my weekends now. So we're entering a, a new era when it comes to uh, adult level sports now. I think I for didn't me. see that coming. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I, well, I played golf a lot when I was living in Phoenix because uh, it was so cheap. So Buddy and I would go probably once a week for uh, maybe a year or so. But I haven't played in nine years. But I went out on Friday, and I shot a even 100, which I felt really good about. That's really good. It, for not playing in nine years, I felt really good about it. That's really so, good. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm not a golfer. Yeah. I, I don't do golf. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Skill game. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Somebody else was telling me, like, oh, Josh, you should golf. You need to start golfing. And I was like, eh, I don't think so. That was probably me last week because I need no, people to go play golf. No, there was somebody else. <laughs> yeah, you said it. But somebody else said it, too. Like, oh, you need to do this. Now that you're getting older, it'll keep your mind sharp. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like this is going to make me mad because I'm not going to be good at it. I'm just going to play pickleball. I'm going to get my pickleball racket. I'm just going to get out there and play pickleball. Yeah. Pickleball doesn't look as fun. Yeah. There's been a lot of track, too. Like, world track right now is happening. Oh, yeah. So there's been some track competitions. Man. I just so speaking of this, they had a they had a girls race and they had somebody from a country that was a very normal person and she ran against all these top athletes and she got smoked. Oh, you were telling me about this. Which I think for every sport, we just need the normal. So I remember, you remember back in the day, the pros versus Joes? Yeah. So they had Michael Irvin, like just school (laughs) of people talking trash. And he's like old Michael Irvin. It's not even like in your prime, Michael. I was like, we need this for every event. Every like, I need a normal basketball player, like a guy who's hooping. random guy out out of the stands. I need all of it to make me remember of like, these people are incredibly athletic and it doesn't even make any sense. I need like just the guy swimming at the Y to hop in the pool versus like the worst of the, the guy who barely qualified for the Olympics and just watch him swim laps around him. It helps me go, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not going to complain about, you know, yeah. if they finish seventh because <laughs> they're finishing seventh is way better than anything else. And it, destroys your illusion of grandeur oh, it oh does. i could do that oh, i you, could do that no, i can't you, you nope could. well that's what i said watching the fedex open i was like oh man i used to play i used to play golf a lot and then i was out nate and i our tech director went and i looked at him like whole 10 and i was like man this gives you a very real appreciation for what those guys do playing like three or four or five rounds of golf uh the way that they do with the consistency they do it's incredible it's yeah. incredible to watch oh. Cool. Well, we kicked off a new series this uh, this week. We sure did. And it's an exciting one. Jason, would you tell us a little bit more about uh, Excel? As we so dive in? this is something that uh, we actually, we began laying the groundwork for, uh, again, it was last year, a year ago. I think we started in the conversations of what this was going to look like for us. Is that true? Uh, I mean, a little more than, tw- I mean, I think we were like 16 months into planning before. So we've been working at this behind the scenes for a while. Uh, Again, one of the things that I, we shared at the vision night is, you know, we kicked off and launched our Prescott Valley campus um, 18 months ago, just about. And we've been meeting at the high, or I'm sorry, at the middle school, Glassford Hill middle school there. And it's been great and so good to see how God's using that place and those people. 
Um, but we always knew that that was a temporary setup. Like that, there was no intention of trying to do that forever. We want to be in that community and put down roots for a really long time. <clears throat> and so to do that, we've been working on trying to figure out what it would look like to create a campus out there. So that's kind of what started this whole process for us is trying to figure out how do we how do we make sure that we have a permanent uh, disciple making hub in Prescott Valley for the next 10, 20, 30 years. So yeah, that's where we be- begun. So that's a little bit of where this whole generosity conversation has started from is to say uh, we need all of our people who are who are mission driven and get what it under, what it means to be people who want to make more disciples. It requires us to become better disciples. So it's a challenge for all of us to grow in our discipleship uh, so that we get to uh, leverage the resources God has given us to go make more disciples. Yeah, that's really good. And I do love the focus that uh, I feel like we have coming into this season, right? Uh, if you've been around this sort of thing at all, been around the church for any extended amount of time, especially a growing church, then likely you've walked through a season like this where you've got to fundraise for a building, you've got this next thing that you're trying to do. And I think a lot of the times what can happen is that that vision of here's where God's calling us can be the primary thing, right? And we sometimes lose how big of a deal we see, especially within this text we're going through in this in this series, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Um, we see how big of an emphasis Paul in this text puts on, right? When you pointed this out super well on Sunday, that Paul more often than not cares a lot more about the hearts of the people the money is coming from rather than where the money is going to. Mm -hmm. So that's our big focus going into this season is, hey, man, we do feel God's calling us to some incredible things in Prescott Valley, but we also, even more than that, feel like God is calling us to grow in our discipleship of him, right? And this is a season where we get to do that by exercising generosity in a way we never have for many of us. Um, so I, that gets me fired up, right? It's not, uh, you know, the, the verbiage capital campaigns thrown around a lot. That's not really what we're doing. We're not saying, Hey, give above and beyond for this two years to this thing. What we are saying is, Hey, just stretch yourself in, Hey, what does it look like for me to grow in the grace of giving the way that Paul talks about it? And if we can do that collectively as a church, man, we're going to be able to fund all sorts of future ministry and it's going to be incredible. So um, yeah, I, I just love the focus that we have coming into this season that really is discipleship focused. It is both making more and better yep. disciples simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit. So we had this one question that came up on Sunday or rather this morning about uh, a line that you had shared and that Paul talks about the church having given themselves first to the Lord. Uh, tell us a little bit about that idea and flesh it out maybe a little more than you had time to on Sunday for us. Yeah, so the big idea here, I think, is that our giving has to come from a place of faith and not um, in lieu of faith. So, you know, we we all know a little bit of church history back in the day when people would actually pay the church to get their forgiveness or they They'd send their penance in to, to get the priests to absolve them of their sins, and they just write the check. And, and that's, not, that's not biblical. We have no, um, no biblical reason to think that we can give our money and somehow going to get God in our debt. So that just is, that's just got to go out the window. So the idea is that they gave themselves first to the Lord. They surrendered their lives to him. They put their faith in him. They chose to follow after him. There was a surrender of themselves. They died to themselves and uh, gave themselves to the Lord. Like as we learned in Romans, right? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I'm going to die to myself and offer myself as a sacrifice to the Lord. So that is always first and foremost. So I just wanted to make really, really clear right up front this Sunday to say, um, if you haven't done that, I think it's actually dangerous for you to think that writing a check is you somehow doing something great for God and he's going to owe you something good in the end. It's just not how it works. So we give ourselves first to the Lord and then all of the generosity that that we um, offer out of our life 
comes out of a place of gratitude for the generosity we've received from the Lord. And so when we give to, I'm sorry, when we when we receive the grace of God, it is what fuels us to give back. And so just want to make sure that everybody is that that's diving into this is doing it out of their relationship with God, um, that you give your, yourself first to Him in every area of your life, and then generosity should flow from that. Yeah, that's really good. And the reason I wanted to start with that is because I believe that's kind of what we're inviting people into in the very beginning of this series. It is, hey, let's start assessing what this looks like in our own lives, whether that's, to your point yesterday, right, someone really kind of new to church and trying to figure it out. And what does this look like for me? And do I believe all of this? Am I a disciple? Is that what I want? Are Are there steps that I want to take in that direction? all the way to those of us who've been in the church for a long, long time, trying to assess what our relationship with generosity is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a great place to start. You had mentioned uh, too, right? We had, uh, we've been thinking about this for a long time, planning for this for a long time, not only this series, but a couple of things leading into the series. And I don't know about you, but over some of our uh, vision nights, I was just super encouraged <laughs> by the engagement from our yeah. church. And we opened this up to everyone, invited everyone in. We had uh, maybe five or 600 people in total join us, maybe a little more than that maybe, over those two nights. And uh, it was really cool. I was really encouraged by that. I think there was lots of great feedback. I just love sharing the vision uh, around discipleship. Um, but also we got a bunch of questions. Yeah. So we thought today might be a good avenue to share some of those questions. You know, if one person has a, yeah. has a question, I think there's probably a lot of other people that have a similar question. So figured we'd probably spend most of our time doing that today. Sounds good. Sweet. Uh, let's start here. Um, uh, sorry, I'm trying to pick one out. That would be a good place to jump in here. Uh, let's talk about uh, the outreach component. So right, remember the vision that you laid out Sunday, but also during these vision nights, is this idea of, right, if we can achieve our primary goal of 100% engagement, if we can all buy into this idea of stretching ourselves in the grace of giving, then we believe a secondary goal could be uh, $14.5 million that can go directly to disciple making here in our area and beyond. That $14.5 million breaks out to kind of four key categories, things that we want to focus on, right? The first being uh, current ministry, that $6 million funds our current ministry budget of $3 million annually as a two-year initiative. The second piece right, being a million dollars to missions. So this question is specific to missions and outreach and that million dollars that's going to be sent away to current ministry partners and future uh, opportunities and projects. Uh, The question is this, what is the monetary comparison to outreach now, like what we spend on a regular basis for missions and outreach compared to this $1 million we'll be able to give away $500,000 a year in the future. What's the difference there? Uh, yeah. So our missions budget currently for this year, 2023, uh, right around $325,000 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all local partners, uh, state partners, and then worldwide partners. Um, that's everything from our community meals that we do on a, um, on a Tuesday here at our Prescott campus. Uh, to a couple new ministries that we've brought on that are directly tied into our PV campus, one of which is called A Safe Place. That's a homeless ministry out there. So it's one of their community partners um, so that they can engage with. It is longtime partners like the Gospel Rescue Mission, uh, CCJ. It's the new uh, thing that we did this year, Meal Pack, where we packed 60,000 meals and sent them to a long-term partner for Arizona Reservation Ministry. Um, So we have a ton of different partners doing ministry um, all uh, throughout, uh, like I said, the world, really, you know, across the street and around the world. Um, so 325 is what it would be. So it would go up almost, what, 175, almost $200,000 over the course of the next two years. And we would keep what we were doing and then add on top of that. So, um, you know, there's special projects for some of our ministry partners. Um, that they've reached out to us, um, not knowing even what we were entering into, which is just always how the Lord, um, how the Lord works. So that would be the increase um, yeah. over. And two, I think we, and we've talked about this. I don't know if we ever talked about this on podcasts, but 
So that building in Prescott Valley is for sure outreach too. I know we don't see it that way yeah, because we just see a building, but that is like we're going to invest way more than $7 million into having a space that provides outreach opportunities um, every day of the week into our community from partnerships with the schools and other community organizations, just literally Sunday morning church stuff you know, our, our groups, discipleship groups. Like, so we have a great opportunity. That building will be used for missions, mm-hmm. right? Again, I know we, we don't see, we don't see a building that way, but truly that's what our building is here, right? If we didn't have our building, like we wouldn't be doing community meals. Right. But somebody had the foresight to go, we should put a kitchen in there and look what we're doing. Feeding, I mean, upwards of 65 to 70 people a week now, who are just starting to get connected. And we've had a lot of great conversations. Yep. Uh, and we've had people been able to plug in and use their giftings and serve the community locally. So, and then it's grown into other things. So again, so yes, we're going to directly put $1 million over the next two years out into our community. But also, we're also going to do way more than that long-term uh, with what that building is going to let us do mm-hmm. and the way in which we're going to be able to build new partnerships. So I love that you added that component in. You know, that was one of the things that we tried to make sure we emphasize through our visions is like, we could just sit here at our Prescott campus and not not do anything in Prescott Valley. We are trying to do outreach in Prescott Valley. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of our partners that we've helped for 15 years is our church planning in Tokyo. And we're... We have donated, and we will donate uh, to help support that church. And what's the big project they're trying to do right now? They're trying to re- renovate a building yeah. to reach new people. That's right. They the need gospel. a space. They yeah. need a space for their church. And yeah. so we're we're going to help them, right? Because that's part of of being a disciple maker is is having a space to connect with people in this culture. So it di- it differs all throughout the centuries, but. Uh, that's a huge important component for making disciples these days. So, yes, seven seven million dollars is going to outreach. It is us trying to go beyond where we are and to reach new people. So, I just I'm so grateful you put that in that category. Make sure that we help people see that too. Yeah, that's really good. Similar question, but maybe on a larger scale, right? We were just talking about kind of the delta between our current uh, outreach spending, which is uh, we shoot for right that ten percent, right? Yeah, uh, of our of our ministry budget and right. that sort of thing from the year prior. Um, let's talk a little bit on a larger scale. What's the delta between our current income, our current uh, income church-wide, organization-wide, to the $14.5 million over the course of the next two years that we're projecting? So it would almost double, I think. Uh, we would be somewhere if... If we just kept on the trend lines that we've been over the last few years, we would end this year probably uh, just somewhere around three and a half, maybe um, three hundred or three million seven hundred fifty thousand, somewhere in that range. So um, you put that over two years, that's between seven million and maybe seven and a half, and we're we're shooting for fourteen and a half. So. Essentially, it it almost doubles um, the income that that we've been at over the next two years. Yeah, good. Um, so then, another question that came in a little bit more just about our uh, methodology around um, right, and we talked a little bit earlier about this idea of which is pretty common the capital campaign where you give money to this specific fund versus what we're doing, which is more a church-wide initiative. Um, so there was a question that came in during our vision nights that was this, can you earmark giving gifts for certain areas of growth or is it all a general fund? So maybe Jason uh, casts a little bit of vision around our uh, philosophy here. Yeah, so this is what we call in a one fund. It, we believe it's all one mission. All, all four of these categories that we've laid out over the next two years, it's trying to fulfill our mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus. So we're, we're, we have never, as a church, let me back up. We do not, on a regular basis, do um, 
designated gifts. Um, there are strings attached to that, and there's some fiscal reasons why, but uh, we will often let people know if they send in a specific gift, we'll have a conversation, we'll call them back and say, hey, we don't do designated gifts and here's why. And so there's some there's reasons around some of that stuff. But here it, the biggest reason is it's all we're one church with one mission and all of these dollars are going to go fulfill that mission. So when you when you get into the hey, you got a general fund over here and a building fund over here, Oftentimes, the the way it's presented is, hey, we need you to keep giving to this general fund over here. We need you to keep doing what you're doing over here. But what we really need to do is we need you to give to this building fund. And we're going to put a thermometer out in the lobby and we're going to color this thing up. And only the dollars that are given to the building fund affects whether the thermometer goes up. And I, I, I think about it like the lady, the widow who is on a fixed income, okay? And she has been faithful to the Lord and sacrificially giving for years to support the ministry of the church. And she's tithing on her social security check. And that's all she can do. But she's been doing it faithfully for 20 years. When you do a building campaign, you say, hey, I need you to keep doing what you're doing over here with the general fund. But what we really need is this building fund stuff. Well, she can't. Like she's already tapped out. She's already given everything she can and when we say that to her, all of a sudden, she doesn't get to participate in the funding of the ministry moving forward. It's like she doesn't get to play. Her, her dollars have nothing to do with the thermometer in the lobby. And what we're saying is, no, 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 her dollars do count. All of it's going to the same mission and the same vision and helping us accomplish what God's calling us to. So her dollars matter just as much as the person who only wants to give to the building fund. Okay, And so... We're saying they all go together and it all funds the mission. So any dollars that are given over the next two years will count against that $14.5 million. We just want people to begin to have this heart to say, I'm, I'm going to invest in the kingdom of God. Um, and all of these areas are important and we want to see God do something great through our church. So uh, it's an all skate. All all dollars go together to to fund these four initiatives over the next two years. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, circling back to specifically the uh, the seven million dollars we're allocating for the PV uh, building, the building of a permanent campus in Prescott Valley for the campus that already exists there to right. move into. Um, the question arose: Hey, isn't gonna isn't it going to cost more than seven million dollars to build the building that you want to build? And the answer is yes. Yes, it will. But right, the $7 million allows us a place to start uh, and hopefully will allow us to get our debt-to-income ratio on a construction loan at a place that is very reasonable, under 20%, um, which is our goal. But there was a question that came in that says, hey, how much money, if any, have you put aside for the PV location already? Mm -hmm. So you want to answer that one? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we purchased the land, about eight acres, uh, a little over a year ago, about a year ago, I guess. And um, at the time, we could have paid cash for it, but we recognized the interest rates at the time were so low, and we knew they were going to go up. And we knew we'd have to um, borrow money at some point. And so we just went ahead and chose. We had plenty of margin to just uh, finance that and to keep that cash on hand. So we do have... Um, a couple million dollars that is ready to go to help us to move forward. Um, and we're continuing to add to that um, uh, each week. You know, that's our goal. We're, we are operating uh, in a way that we're trying to figure out how do, we, how do we streamline our processes to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to continue to add to that tally um, as we go forward. So we do have a few million dollars that are ready to go uh, to help us move forward. And uh, that number is continuing to grow as people continue to give. And that a margin, margin already, right? A little peek behind the scenes is already helping us do all of the prep work yeah. that we're needing to do in order to pull the trigger when we're ready, when yep. we're funded, right? We're doing all the design and the architectural yep. and the civil engineering and all of those things that you need to spend six months doing before you can yep. even 
consider breaking the yep. ground, right? It, this margin's allowing us to get a really good jump start <clears throat> on a lot of that stuff. Um, here's a, a general giving question that came in. Uh, does the Bible state a certain percentage of your income that we should tithe? Um, yes. So when you think the tithe simply means 10%. So when you think about that, that is, uh, you know, kind of the biblical expectation as you see, but you can actually go back into the old Testament and add it all up. And the tithe actually represented almost 30%. By the time you uh, think about incomes and what was given in sacrifices and what was given in offerings, like it was, um, it was significantly higher than what we think of as 10%, but it was also uh, what funded the government. And so when you think about it, it was a theocracy. And so all of the government was funded through the the tithes of the people of Israel. So uh, it's a little bit different. It's not a, you, you can't just, you know, carry the one and move it forward into our day. Uh, Jesus obviously did speak about the tithe. You see it in the New Testament. Um, but I'll tell you where I where I sit, what I look at biblically is I think the, the tithe, as many churches have taught it for generations, I think for the believer, for a disciple of Jesus, that ought to be the floor, not the ceiling. Like we've made that kind of the place where you get to and you check the box. It's kind of what we talked about this weekend. That once you get to that 10% mark, then you've arrived and you can check that box and you can move on. That's just not, I just don't see that as biblical, um, especially throughout the New Testament. As we walk through chapters 8 and 9 of Second Corinthians uh, I think we're going to see that all throughout what Paul's trying to to get us to think about uh, when it comes to generosity. So uh, here's what I would say: it did come up at one of the um, the uh, vision nights. Somebody asked um, how many of our people tithe or are people tithing, and I did say, like, legit if everybody in our church just gave 10%. If everybody just tithed, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like that, I think it is the baseline. And if we did, if we, if every believer just did that, uh, there would never be a need for fundraising. There'd be ample enough money to plant churches and, and build campuses and send missionaries. We'd have more than enough resources if everybody just took that step. So, uh, I, again, I just think biblically that's the floor for the believer uh, and not the ceiling. So I think it's something we ought to we ought to see as the baseline uh, for our giving. So I have a question yeah. um, for either one of you guys. And it's kind of it's not a loaded question, but it, I know there's a lot to it. But just your general thoughts, like why why do we think people do? Because this is, again, what I love is that we have kept this as a discipleship issue. Why are people, you're, you know, your statement, we're much quicker to give them our salvation than our savings, right? Like you, you don't just say that line. You've been thinking on this for yeah. over a year now. Yeah. So what do you think the, the cause is? Like why, why is that? Why is this the last thing that we faithfully surrender to the Lord? Like, what do you think? Again, there's probably a, a thousand reasons, but like, as you're just looking at our context, people, culture, Prescott, what makes this such a um, an issue people just aren't doing? So, I, let me start with two, and uh, trying to figure out which order to go in here. So, one of them, I think, really is just a trust factor. We just don't trust that the Lord's going to provide, that he's actually going to follow through on his commands to take care of the needs of his people. And uh, oftentimes it doesn't make mathematical sense that I'm going to give this money away and still be able to have my needs taken care of. It doesn't make... And so we actually remove the spiritual aspect of God working in our life. And so I think there is a trust factor. We have our fears and doubts that that what we have is going to be enough. And so I think we... We remove that spiritual factor of God at work in this way. And one of the ways that we said it was we become practical atheists. We actually don't think that there is a all-knowing, all-powerful, omniscient, personal God who 
who is working in my life that if I trust him in this area, there'll be enough at the end. So I think that's part of it. But here's the second part of it. There are a lot of charlatans out there who for generations have preyed upon people that have caused distrust, not just of God, but of the church and of pastors who have taken people's money, who have, who have promised them blessings that um, if you, you know, you send in your hundred dollars and God will give you 10,000. Like there is that part where there is a built in um, hesitancy to believe leadership in this area of money. So in that sense, I totally get why people would listen to a pastor and say, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I see his giant Rolex and his you know, G6 that he's flying from here, there, and everywhere. And so there, there's this built-in prejudice against giving to spiritual leaders. So, so in that sense, I think that's the other reason. I think there's a, there's just a, the church has just done a disservice and dishonor people through their giving for generations and used it in inappropriate ways. And I think it causes people to doubt and distrust um, the church. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I'll give uh, another answer. Um, I think all of that's true. I also think all of us men, the bulk majority of us uh, grew up in a really greedy and self-centered culture, mm-hmm. like gen- genuinely, because even to your point, right, Jason, we may have a distrust for the institution of the church and we're not giving them that money, but we're spending it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and we're spending it on the things we want to spend it on. And that's really easy for us to justify. It's really easy for us to right, run our budget all the way down to the penny to pay for the trip we want to go on or the experience we want to have or the game we want to go see or whatever it is. Because those are things that feel good to us and they're really tangible and practical memories. And again, we can justify our way around it as many ways as, as we want to. Um, but it feels good to spend money on those experiences that we want to be a part of or things that we want to buy or the car that I want to drive or whatever the status symbol for me is. Like there's a reason, right, that uh, national debt just surpassed a trillion dollars. Like <laughs> yeah. we are, we The live. Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> That's the that reason. $1,300 yeah. that yeah. they were spending. That, that was not cash. <laughs> no. <laughs> we bankrolled that thing. Yeah, we did. So, but genuinely, like there isn't, there is a, uh, aspect of like so many of us have lived our lives in a way before Jesus, during our relationship with Jesus, no matter what situation we're in, we have worked ourselves into this place to where we're living paycheck to paycheck because we're funding all of these things, all of these uh, lifestyle choices that we've made. And we can't even fathom giving 10% away at that mm-hmm. because we've worked ourselves into this hole. Right. Yep. So there's a lot of work and a lot of, re- uh, we need to construct a new framework around finances and what we're spending our money on in order for us to see that margin and, Hey, what is this supposed to, what is the design of this supposed to be? Um, so that's, that's really good. Yeah. I always just think they didn't have a grandma who like me was, I was just blessed. She said, Hey, you got a paycheck first. You got to pay the Lord. (laughs) And it was like, I was like, Oh, okay. That's what you do. Mm -hmm. Like she just didn't even, it wasn't like an optional command. Right. And it was a really hard thing to go like, oh, I got to give all that away. That's, yeah. I mean, that was nothing when I look back now, right? It was that first, you know, 18-year-old paycheck that was, you know, not making hard, $6 uh-huh. an hour. It wasn't right. like I was 60 cents on the dollar, you right. know? Yeah. But, or six cents on the dollar. Yeah, 60. Um, but anyway, she was just like, that's what you do first. Yeah. It's just what you do. Like, the, and she didn't give me that wiggle room. Like, to your point is, it's really easy to justify, oh, but like, ah, oh, man, like, Hit five. Five is okay. Because we don't see straight up biblically like you must give 10 per, you know, like so people try to wiggle the way through all of those things and we try to justify it. But I do wonder, right? It is just in the back of my mind as we've been walking through this, like, man, what is, man, what's causing people just to not fully trust? Like, I know they don't, but man, they're just stuck. And we've seen, I think all three of us would say in our own lives, the benefit. Mm-hmm of what God has done, the spiritual side of things mm-hmm. um, and the way in which God's blessed my family. Yep. Yeah. You know, not the, that he gave me 10,000, you know what I mean? Not none like that. So. Right. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, 
Here's a question for anyone that's new with our church. I think this is a really, really good question. It's a two-parter. Uh, this person wrote in and said, hey, I'm new here. In the Discovering Quad City class, it seems like we can't become members for at least six months. So then what is your approach for non-members in this vision? So two questions. Uh, I think we answer the first one first, right? Hey, why do we do that six-month thing? What's the point of that kind of waiting period? And then also, uh, for people that are new, um, what what do they do with all of this? So jokingly, we always say the reason we may make you wait six months is because in that time frame, Jason's going to offend you, and we, <laughs> we want to see if you keep coming back. Yeah. Now, the – it's kind of true, but it it's is for sure. True. But it's, it's super true. But then I go, well, it's true because we're going to preach the word and the yes. word is offensive. Yeah. And like every week you're walking out going, ah, yeah. When one of our core values is we do the hard things, they have to be able to sit under the hard teachings and say, is yeah. this what something I want to be a part of? So genuinely, we just want people to get to know us. We yes. want to get to know them. Um, and two, honestly, I want to <laughs> see what happens when you don't like what you're hearing, do you keep coming? Do you have uh, conversations? Do you approach us and leadership the right way? And like, do you just jump in and serve even the most, like we use sweep floors because that's what you want to, you know, you just yeah. want to serve the church. And so really it's just to kind of like, we're just kind of dating, just, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. feeling each other out and that's okay. And we, we're okay with that. We're okay with people taking their time. It, like, cause we see it as a really big deal. And yeah. so, but again, like really the biggest reason is in six months, I think you'll know us pretty well yeah. and you'll know like, oh yeah, I want to jump into this. It would be abnormal and weird to ask someone to marry you on the first date. And that's a really great analogy as you yeah. say it, right? Because there's this thing, like we have these expectations of members that we don't have of people that just walk in the doors on Sunday morning that don't know us. Right. Right. Like the expectations of those of uh, those of you who have walked through the membership process, we made them really clear during that process. Yeah. That you're core people. You're doing all of the things that we know of as biblical commands. You're giving. You're serving. You're engaged in groups. You're leading in capacities. Like that's you're that's being... what membership is. And for you to walk in and not know us, and us have the expectation that you're going to engage in all of those things immediately, is just really unfair to you, right? Because you don't even know us yet. Yeah. So you said something too the other day in one of our discovering classes about membership. I thought it was so good. You hadn't said it. At least I hadn't heard it. About at the end of at the end of this, God's going to ask you, uh, and you're responsible for the members, the flock of Quad City, mm -hmm. those who have raised their hand and said, "Hey, I am in," yeah. and what all that entails. It was such a great viewpoint of me of like, yeah, man. So there's a ton of people, which I think we're going to answer with the second one, who just come and are loosely affiliated with us. But then there is a group of people who are. I have said, no, no, we are the flock in which God has entrusted to the leaders, you and the other elders of our church. And we just need to identify that so that you know, like yep. when those conversations need to be had, you have them. Not that we don't have them with others, but it is just different, it right? It is different. There is a biblical expectation. It's Hebrews 13. And um, yeah, uh, there is a, a standard that God is going to hold myself and the other elders to. He is put in charge put us over a flock that we're going to have to answer for. And so uh, we don't take that lightly. And so, yeah, knowing who that those people are is hugely important. Um, so then how do new people engage in Excel? What does that look like? Oh, let me answer this. It was great. Uh, I think you alluded to it earlier that we, we've had amazing uh, new people just jumping in every week. In fact, I had one guy come out to me at Pastor's Point, and he said, it was really funny today. The people in front of me were new, first time. People beside me, behind me, and to my other side. Like, he was completely surrounded by people who were brand new to the church. They'd only been there a couple of weeks. It was really cool. As we were standing there at Pastor's Point, there, were, there was one couple that came up, and this was their second week, and they jumped into a group this week and wanted to, to take a step. So, we are inviting anybody who, if you're new, again, I think this is an amazing time. You're going to get to see the heart of this church at work of why it is that we are willing to do the hard things for the sake of other people. So I think this is a great time uh, for brand new people to jump in, to go jump into a group, to come join us on Wednesday nights. This is an amazing opportunity to get to understand why and how this mission that is given to us by Jesus is so important and what we're willing to 
do to fulfill that mission. So uh, if you're a newcomer with us, lean in. You can do all the stuff. Like there's nothing that is outside of the realm. If God's calling you to make a commitment and start giving, then by all means, you should do that. If you feel like you're still in that dating process, then we understand that too. Sit back and figure out, is this the place that God's calling you to? Um, But there's no reason that a, a new person can't get involved and walk this discipleship journey to see what God wants to do in their life through this season as well. And what we know too, new is we have new to just Quad City because you you just moved here uh, from California or wherever, um, Michigan, and you've been a disciple for a really long time. I actually think this is going to be great for you because we're going to actually go, hey, this is what a disciple looks like. We're going to ask you to like really maybe you've been doing church for a really long time and you have been on autopilot. Yeah. You just moved here and you've got all these priorities and we're going to go, hey, remember what Jesus calls of us. And then we know there are new who haven't given themselves first to the Lord. New to faith. Le- new to faith. Let's talk. Yeah. Maybe maybe you are brand new to faith. Maybe you've just been baptized here. No better time than to start when you're new. Oh, for sure. Just, it put this in your life right now and you can keep that habit for years and years to come. But yeah, if you're just... New to church, not a believer, not a follower. Man, let's talk. Let's have conversations. Get in a group. Let other people who are not a part or who are a part of faith begin to tell you why they do what they do because that's what I always wanted to know with giving. I didn't grow up in a family that gave, and so I always would ask older faithful believers, I just need you to tell me it's worth it. Don't tell me the amount. I don't care about any of that. Tell me if I do this for 50 years that giving to the church is worth it. And I want no lady to win. Oh, baby, it's so worth it. And I was like, okay, that's all I need to know. Yeah. Like, I didn't need to know. I need to hear it because I was so unsure just because I didn't have that built into me. You know, I didn't see years and years of family doing those things. And so, man, if you're new and new to faith, man, let's, we, these are great conversations we love to have. That's really good. Got two more questions and then we'll, we'll end on uh, a really good one also. Um, here's one that came in that was interesting. So, right, the last category we haven't talked yet about of the four is this idea of the Prescott balcony. So, mm-hmm. uh, we said in the vision cast that we're going to set aside about $500,000 to build a balcony on the Prescott location so that we can continue to invite new people onto that location as well, right? If you've been around the Prescott campus for any, uh, uh any really any week in the last 12, right? Like, go to the 930, it's pretty tight. So, we want to make sure we have plenty of space. Uh, to invite new people there. So the question, uh, though, is this, right? Uh, Has there been any consideration to adding a Saturday night service instead of uh, adding the balcony? No. (laughs) There's been discussion. (laughs) Discussion, not consideration. consideration. There's a really good reason, though, so flesh that out for us, Jason, because I'm glad Uh, you're passionate about this. I am passionate about this. I've served at a church. I did uh, student ministry for six years at a church where we had a Saturday night service. So I've I've lived in this world, and you know one of the commitments that I I I address pretty early on here. We've got a young staff. I think you know we've just been talking, Josh. You got four little ones at home. Brendan, you've got a little one at home. I think about David's got four kids in school. Like we've got we've got so many. Uh, young pastors with young kids. I actually had somebody ask me this question at vision night and they said, you know, what about a Saturday night? Can we, should we just do a Saturday night service instead of building? And I'm like, no, I said, here's the problem. If I do a Saturday night service, um, every one of the pastors, they don't have one day where they get to just be dad. Um, you know, every day you're, Josh, your kids are in school Monday through Friday. And so it's easy to say, well, if he's got to be working on Saturday, you can give him a Wednesday. Wednesday doesn't help. Like your kids are in school. It's not like you're going to get to go hang out with your kids on Wednesday. And so you need a day where you just get to be dad. And, uh, you know, you're big into sports with your boys. And it's a, a way for you to actually connect with the community. And again, if your kids are doing flag football on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, and you got to be at church at 4.30 for church. That means, you know, the, the flag football game up in Williams, you've got to leave by 11 to drive back here to get in the shower to go 
be at the church by 3.30 so that we can have service. Like, there's no day for you to get to be dad. So I'm really passionate about making sure that our, our kids don't lose out on their dads. I don't want them to see. And moms, the ch- for that matter. for some But yeah, we've got staff. staff right? That's right. Staff, moms and dads. I, that they don't see the church as stealing from them. So, you know, I we've done seasons where we've done four services on a Sunday. We did three Sunday or Sunday mornings and a Sunday night. We did f- Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoon. I, one of the things that I've always told our team, uh, Sunday's a work day. I don't mind telling you, hey, you got to put your eight hours in. We got to need nine hours in on set Sunday. Like Sunday's a work day for our team. They get that piece of it. But in in doing that, I have always made the commitment that I will protect uh, that Saturday so that they just get to be dad. And let me just add this one other note. Um, even if we did a Saturday night service, it would not change what's happening at 9.30 on Sunday. Those who come at 9.30 on Sunday are not just going to change their habit and start coming Saturday night. It's just not going to happen. So it it doesn't fix the problem. Primarily, the crowd that comes on Saturday night is church people who just want their Sunday. That's typically what when happens. I, that's when I used to attend church. Right. When, when we lived in Phoenix, that we loved Saturday night. You just it love awesome. it because you just go, and then I don't have to worry about – I get to sleep in on Sunday, and I don't have to worry about getting up, and it fits my life. And so now I have a whole free day on Sunday that I don't have to do anything. So it's really just a trade-off, not necessarily for – for people who are wanting to give and serve and invest, it's oftentimes just a way for people to uh, get church out of the way. Uh, it's usually not a service that's growing. There are some churches that, that that might be the case, and God bless them if that is. Uh, it's not been the case for most of the churches that I've been aware of, and many of my pastor friends uh, used COVID as an opportunity to kill their Saturday night services. So very few churches that I know of um, are even offering Saturday night. Now, our good friends over at the Heights, they have a great service that they're doing out in Prescott Valley on Saturday night. So that is one of their growing services. So uh, for those who are in our community, that Sunday morning doesn't work for them, and there, there is some of that, um, Heights has a great option. And so that their Prescott Valley campus, they do have a Saturday night service. Yeah. And like you said, it's usually not new people, like new to faith. They're right. generally not exploring Saturday night. Because even if you're kind of new, you know, like, oh, Sunday's the day I go. Yeah. You know, you're kind of yeah. checked that out, right? Yeah, and so sure. you you do kind of lose the the heart of the mission. Of like we're trying to reach yeah. new people and have new people come in. That's good. Here's the second to last question. This is, should be a fairly quick one um, as well. Is there any plan to build a school on the new campus? Uh, not under my leadership. Yeah. <laughs> so I have no desire to get into that world. It is uh, oftentimes it becomes one of the greatest mission drifts of a church that ends up creating division. Um you're in a classroom and the teacher on Monday gets mad because the Sunday school class didn't put the paper back in the drawer and it's just a mess. So it's, it is such a huge mission drift. We're here to make disciples. Uh, can that happen in a school? Sure. I'm sure great churches have done that. But again, I would say many, uh, if not most of the churches that I knew that were doing school end up rolling those schools off and they mm-hmm. become their own entity, their own 501c3. Um, it's it's just uh, almost intel... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it just doesn't work over the long term most of the time. Again, some people can make it work and there will always be those examples, but uh, I have no interest. I, I in, don't know of a single example where you've got a local church that launches a local school and both are growing. Yeah. So I know a bunch of churches that have schools, preschools, all sorts of stuff, 
I don't know of a single example where both are thriving, great experiences. It's mutually beneficial. Again, oftentimes it's a deterrent from mission. It's a mission drift rather than, in theory, you can think like, oh, this will fuel the mission because we're able to make disciples midweek also, right? And we'll have new families that come to the school and they'll come to the church. It just usually doesn't happen. Yeah, so it's an easy thing to look at. In theory, man, this makes perfect sense. It really doesn't. And we're in the business of, right? making more and better disciples. And we want to keep that the primary focus yeah. um, in the way that we do church. So awesome. Uh, last question is this, and this is by by and large the most frequently answered question, especially for anyone on the PV location right now. Uh, when's it going to be done? <laughs> when are we going to have that building done? Well, my stock answer for every vision night was uh, – we'll get it as soon as your check clears like that. That's when we'll do it as you know, we're going to, we're moving. We're already doing, as you've mentioned, we're doing behind the scenes, everything that we can uh, right now, all the engineering, all the plans, all the drawings uh, we'll work through all the permitting processes that have to be taken care of. So we're doing everything that we can up until this point. um, And we'll continue to do that moving forward. But ultimately it's, the, the completion date is going to be dependent upon our cash flow. Mm-hmm. And when are we able to fund this? So in a way that's wise and fiscally responsible, for sure. good yeah, stewardship. For sure. Like that is of most importance yeah. for us. Yeah. Right. So I would just say, um, the sooner that, that we get the, the financial backing to move forward, we will move forward as fast as we can. And I would say to add on to that. So, like we've said a couple of times, just want to state, excuse me, we have a church in Prescott yes. Valley. Yeah. We have a place to invite people yep. to launch groups, yep. to serve the community. Yep. So those of you who are PV campus, don't sit back and wait until the building comes. Right. And keep inviting your friends, keep telling them about Jesus. Like that's why we did this. Right now, the crowds are huge. Yes, they're going to be even larger when we get to that point. But, man, serve in that community. Reach out. Yeah, we uh, the building limits us. Mm-hmm. But, man, we can get creative to do things and reach out into those spaces and tell our neighbors about uh, the hope that we have in the gospel. So, again, that's the – and then for us in Prescott, it should be like, man, we've – we should be shouldering this burden and feeling this going, man, there are people who need a place. Cause I do yeah. know some people may not come until there is a permanent location. Mm-hmm. That's not everybody though. Right. right? But yeah. I should feel that burden to go, man, God, how, how can you use me in this season to really make sure that I can provide a place for people? Like Brian said, there's tens, tens of 15,000 people like him who do need a place. Right. Yeah. We do have one now though. We do have a, have right. a church, we have a building, we have people who are engaged in serving as a body of Christ in Prescott Valley, man. So don't rest and wait. Going well yeah. when the building gets there, I'll, then I'll jump in and get into it. Engage now. Let's yeah. go. That's really good. I want to. I want to end where we began. And Jason, you had this great line, and I think it's like the um, right. It is the driving force behind this whole season for us, the next two years. And the line is that generosity isn't a money issue. It's a discipleship issue. For sure. And we want to be better disciples. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm really looking forward uh, to the rest of the series and season that we have ahead of us uh, to where even us, like even you, Jason, Josh, I get to grow in our discipleship through this thing. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things. Um, You know, I had somebody come up to me yesterday, and I've had this a, a handful of times where people Oh man, you had to talk about money. I'm sure that's really hard. That nobody has likes to preach, and it isn't fun because I know you know there that people come to this conversation with a lot of baggage. But I've gotten to the place where it's it's not near as hard as it used to be, and part of it is because I know that it actually has an impact to change people's life. And the second part of it is, it's not like I gain from this. You know, it's not like whatever we raise, I get ten percent. Like this is not. I'm not working on commission here. And this, I'm not asking anybody to do anything that I'm not going to do. This is going to, at the end of the day, my net worth is going to go down because we're doing this. It's not going to go up. Like we're going to sacrificially give. Me and my wife, we're having these same conversations and we're having this this same wrestling of what does this look like for us to grow in this area? So, um, So that helps when you're saying, hey, I'm not, I get it. 
I get it. I'm here with you. I'm I'm walking this out with you. Um, and so we're we're all in this together. God's doing a work in all of us. And at the end of the day, we know it's going to be worth it. God does work in the lives of His people for His kingdom. And so we we just want to be uh, obedient to the process and see what God does at the end. That's really good. Awesome, guys. We'll uh, we'll chat again next week. Well, hey, that's a wrap on this episode of the Becoming Better podcast. We're so glad that you joined us here today and hope you were able to, to join us all the way through the end. As always, if you have any questions or comments from Sunday's message, we do hope you join us at quadcity.church podcast, where you could submit your questions to be answered right here on the Becoming Better show. And before you go for the day, be sure to subscribe. This way you'll get notified every single time we drop a new episode on Tuesday. Well, I hope this was a helpful and fruitful conversation for you today, and we will see you next time.